Hey, it's Jason Cunningham, and welcome back to another edition of Save My Business, proudly presented by Zero. This podcast invites successful business people to share their stories and offer insights to inspire and encourage their fellow small and medium-sized business owners. And today's guest is a great friend of mine and someone who I really look up to, and her name is Louise Bedford. But before we get to Louise, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a five-time, that's right, not once or twice or even three, but five-time best-selling author. She's a rock star and a leader when it comes to the share market. She's a business owner, a business partner, a wife, a mum, and best known for when she lost the use of her arms in the corporate world and learned to trade the market using a pen. Louise, welcome. Ah, Jay, it's great to be here. How are you doing? How are you, how are you going after that intro? Look, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm all pumped. Yeah? It's almost like you wrote it yourself. Hey, Louise, before we get into you as a trader, um, tell me how you've been going the last two years. The last two years, mm. you want the truth? Yeah. Pretty badly. I had a situation where, you know, I lost the use of my arms mm-hmm. many years ago and through many physiotherapist visits and a lot of pain, I regained the use of my arms, but the same issue hit my voice box. Mm. So I have only just relearned how to speak. I had an operation in February and it worked. (laughs) So yay, I can now present again, which is great. I can speak to my family. I can make phone calls. So it has turned around, but through COVID, the lockdowns, it really wasn't great, Jay. Now, that, that's why I wanted to start there, Louise. So I've known you, I think, for 23 years. Oof. I think we met in 1999, and they say with podcasts you shouldn't be date sensitive, but stuff that I'm doing it, right? So I've known you for 23 years, and I know that when you got into trading, you, you started trading because you lost the use of your arms and you couldn't work. And I think you were done in Bradstreet maybe or that's you're it. working somewhere, mm-hmm. and that didn't work out, and you thought, damn this, if, I'm, if it's to be, it's up to me, I better take control. Tell us a little bit about that and that journey and how you started trading without the use of your arms. And then tell me what it felt like when that same infliction came back and got you 23 years later. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's really important, first of all, because we are business owners. We need to speak from our scars, Mm. not our wounds. So I feel like I have moved beyond a lot of what I'm going to speak about today, but that doesn't mean it's not very difficult. And I find whenever I touch on situations that are so personally meaningful, it does make you tense up a little bit, doesn't it? So I also need to take into account that a lot of people have faced worse situations. Mm -hmm. This is just my journey. So if you are listening to this podcast, if you're watching, just know that there probably is some light at the end of the tunnel, that down the track things can get a lot brighter and not to give up. Mm -hmm. I just want to start with that. So way back when, I used to be a national manager Mm -hmm. and I loved it. I loved my career. I had a couple of degrees and I had a sales team and I was able to implement everything for my degrees with that sales team. And then April 1st, 1996, I had a little niggle in a finger and I thought, oof, what's that? It's a bit sore. Everybody's got that sort of thing. But within two weeks, it had spread up and down each arm and I couldn't move could not move at all. I had already known how to trade. I had traded the share market and I'd made some reasonable money, but I was nowhere near the ability to go full-time at that stage. Sorry, Louise, I'm going to jump in there. When you say you lost the use of your arms, are you saying you completely lost the use of your arms? I couldn't move. 
they were agony. I have given birth twice without drugs mm. and that was easier. I would yeah. go back to that any day. So, like, I'm talking, how do you get dressed? I had a carer. My husband stepped in and I, a lot of the time, many of the activities that I thought I could do, I just had to leave. I just had to say goodbye to them. Like cleaning your teeth? The carer. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was a big deal. And when you're working a job, like a, a real job instead of trading, they pretty much don't want you unless you're able-bodied. And mm. I hate saying that because we are trying to be inclusive these mm. days. But in actual fact, they didn't want the carer coming to work with me. They weren't happy that I had somebody to accompany me to the toilet. Yeah. It was just too much. So I needed to go. And luckily I had share trading mm. as a bit of a stopgap between that income source and nothingness because it's scary. You know, thinking that you're not going to have money, it's terrifying. I mean, that, that, that is funny. Obviously, in the space that I work in as an accountant and as an advisor, we talk to, about money all the time. But I'm just still stuck on the bit about, you know, dressing yourself, cleaning your own teeth, let alone bringing the care to work. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you, you've dealt with, you've dealt with that. And then, so continue on. Sorry, I'm just great at interrupting, <laughs> um, which is one of my strengths. It is, isn't it? One <laughs> of the many. So I... Talked to my broker at that stage and I said, look, I'm in trouble. I'm going to have to leave my job. I'll have to stop trading because, you know, I can't. I can't actually do this. And he said, no, you can do it. You can do this. And he said, I will do the maths for you on the calculator as long as you can tell me what you want. Mm -hmm. So I literally dialed numbers with a pen in my mouth so that I could talk to my broker. I'd see a chart on the screen and I was in business. I was in business, baby. <laughs> All of a sudden, that whole world opened up again. Yeah. I didn't have to go into that whole disability mindset mm -hmm. where you're cramping your own style because your physical abilities are limited. Yeah, it was great. So trading for me, it's right up there with oxygen. Yeah. It is so important. And I have since been able to help so many other people because of my situation who have disabilities. Mm. And I think that that is perhaps the silver lining mm. to that entire fiasco that yeah. was my early trading life yeah wow thanks for that yeah I, I, and I'll, I'll come back to this a bit later on but along the journey you met Chris Tate you set up a the trading game which we'll talk about in a bit of time and then that business built and grew and you're trading hundreds teaching sorry hundreds of traders each year on some of the skills that you guys have picked up and as as we spoke about earlier part of that that whole education piece is having conversations with people um, and you know running workshops and leadership programs and all that sort of stuff and then you lose the ability to talk. Yeah, here we go. So it felt very reminiscent of the earlier time. It was an instant situation though. My hands went over two weeks. It was, it was one of those more, okay, things are shutting down here, mm. but I've at least got a chance to adjust. With my voice, it was December 14th, 2019. That was the last time I spoke clearly without augmentation in my throat. I am now the bionic woman. <laughs> it's working like a charm. So that was significant. It was a complete change to my life. I feel like I started that pandemic pandemic because yeah. I had that personal issue and then the world shut down. Yeah. So it was me on that roller coaster of emotions again. Mm. So not only like the rest of us that were locked in our house and locked in with our family. You were locked in, but you just couldn't speak to anyone. That's it. Yeah. yeah. How'd you go with the text? You got pretty good on a text message. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I shut down. Yeah. I 
stopped looking out and I looked in. Yeah. So I turned to nature, I took up walking, I rode a bike, I did everything that I could to maintain that sense of myself mm. that I really wanted to hang on to. You know, I wasn't prepared to say goodbye to the rest of my life. Mm. There were hours and hours of speech therapy and luckily my business is online so mm. I was able to look after my traders. A lot of them didn't even realise, barely skipped a beat with that. But Emotionally, yeah, Jay, it was one of the roughest times of my life. Yeah, I know, I know. We were talking a bit at that stage, or communicating, mm. should I say, a bit at that stage, and then post that. See, I didn't even know that you'd lost the use mm. of your voice at that stage. So I was going through my own challenges at that time. Uh, but the conversations we've had since, wow. I mean, did, was there ever a point in time you thought, Am I ever going to be able to speak again? Yeah, absolutely. I was prepared for it. I yeah. thought this is it, you know, I have to adjust. So I set up for the dinner table. I set up a laptop so that I could type and it Bluetoothed it over and so I could communicate with the kids over dinner. Yeah. And I developed a few tools like that which really put me in touch with who I was again, mm. which really did help. But there's nothing like being able to talk to you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Just the final piece, Lou. As you sort of started to get better you I know I can remember you'd only have like 10 minutes of talking a day or 40 minutes of talking a day yeah. so you had to really save your words you know what I mean um okay so thank you for sharing that um because yeah I'm sure other people are going through something similar or have gone through something similar and, and typically it's not how we get knocked down it's how we get back up and not all of us have got the same level of resilience that you have um what are some of the tips or some advice you give for somebody that's facing a challenge that looks like that it's insurmountable, the problem? What, what, you know, you mentioned you got in touch with nature. What are some of the other things that might help people, you know, overcome a challenge like that? Look, I pretty much thought bad thoughts, black thoughts, okay, yeah. Jay? I'm being completely open with you. Mm. I thought maybe this world isn't for me anymore. Oh, and then... Just in the nick of time, a client approached me and he didn't have a tongue. He will never speak again. He had had 99% of his tongue cut out. He had a tiny little flap of his tongue left because of cancer. That changed everything for me. Yeah. I suddenly went, oh, my gosh, what am I complaining about? I do get 10 minutes a day. Mm. I can get my point across. My daughter learnt sign language for me. Oh, I've that's got, so cute. Yeah, yeah, I've got the support of my family. I've got the support of good friends. Yeah. And this particular client, he just turned the corner for me. I just thought I have to take my eyes off myself and put them on other people mm. and see where I still have my calling. Mm. What can I do to influence the world that doesn't involve my voice? Mm. There are other, other aspects to me. It's not just one dimensional yeah. and it's finding those dimensions and exploring them. When I went through a challenge recently, my psychologist said to me, Jason, he said, I need you to take this the right way. I'm going to be quite pragmatic in my approach. But depression in its basic, most simplest form, is an inward-looking situation. And he said, and, and he, he didn't dance around it, and he understood that depression is really challenging. He said, but a quick and easy fix, and you said it yourself, was to stop looking inward and look outward. He'd say, find somebody that you can help. Find somebody else that you can focus on. And what happens is you trick yourself, and you forget about your own challenges, and you start to think about someone else's challenges. So... Thanks for that. Thanks for reinforcing, you know, those 20 meetings I had. <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk. I want to talk about you as the business owner. So about 20 years ago or so, you went into business with a friend of mine 
uh, Christopher Norman Tate, Chris Tate, who uh, if, to look at is practically the opposite to you. So he's a six foot four, six foot five, big, strong, black belt, ex-bouncer, scary, frightening, speaks uh, uh, very brash in the way he communicates, very pragmatic. The level of empathy, he's, he's got about a half a percent, right? So he's a frightening man and you are the complete opposite. How does your business partnership work? How did it start and how's it going? Okay, Jay, this is where you entered the picture. You actually saved our business partnership. And this is something I'll always be grateful to you for. We've been a client of yours for decades. Mm. We came to you for pretty much what looked like marriage counselling, even though I'm not married to my business partner. Partnerships are so important, aren't they? Mm. You know, both of you bring different things to the table and there's always room for conflict. So we were at one of those turning points in our business Mm. and the advice you gave us, we still hold on to to this very day. You said, Louise, your functions are here in this circle. Chris says your functions are here and right now you are completely from a Venn diagram point of view overlapping. Mm. That is friction, friction, friction. Everything where you overlap is friction. And you said what you need to do, your goal is to pull those two circles apart so that that little intersection of things you're doing together is completely narrow, Mm. a tiny little piece of overlap. And then you can look from that little piece of overlap to the things that the other person is doing, praise them and then appreciate them. (laughs) And Jay, wow, that was just instrumental. So if you've got a business partnership, I do urge you to do that. Mm. If you are duplicating the other person's efforts, there will be conflict. Always, always. Mm. And look... Thanks for that, Louise. Um, but it, it doesn't just happen in business partnerships. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. And the less we can duplicate, the better. And I, one of the guiding principles we have in our firm is that we allow each other to operate in their genius or focus on their strengths, swim in their lane, whatever language you want to use. But we allow each other to operate in their genius, subject to hygiene. And so, we, and the other thing is that we make each other look good. You know, and I think that's really important. There's a number of different guiding principles that exist that really have generated from the same basic concepts. Seek first to understand, yeah. you know, those sorts of things, presume best intention. And I, I mean, the amount of conversations I have with business partners where the challenges that they were faced with are the same challenges that you guys are faced with. History repeats itself. In your business, it's, a, it's an interesting business. You've got a, you know, you're very strong online and you've got quite a, healthy, strong following. Let's talk about how you engage with your clients, how you win new clients and and how the business works as a business. Yeah, so I'll tell you perhaps a a little bit about how that's operated and how it's changed over COVID. Mm -hmm. So we were very much out there doing face-to-face presentations, doing seminars, Mm -hmm. and we loved that before COVID. Mm -hmm. But, of course, with COVID, everything shut down and became a never-ending Zoom call, didn't it? So I think the key is to express care for Mm -hmm. the people that you're with because without that, they can't hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. 
they can't hear it until they know how much you care. So that's something that I've really taken on board. I look to get involved with our clients' lives to find out about what they're looking for trading to do more than just money. Mm -hmm. So the cars they drive, the schools they send their children to, the holidays that they go on, what are they going to use the money that they're going to generate out of trading to go towards? Mm -hmm. And that deeper values-based commitment I think is really important Mm -hmm. to be bigger than just that one dimension. And but where do you draw the line, Blue? As far as they want. Yeah. So I'm an accountability partner for many of my clients. Yeah, yeah. I get them to say, okay, I'm having trouble with this goal. And mm. I say, okay, when will I diarise to contact you? Yeah. So yeah. I think it can be broader than you perhaps think. Yeah, but I mean, do they have their mobile number? Your mobile number? Are they ringing you on the weekends? Uh, yeah. Boundaries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's within the areas that I can. I mean, clearly with speaking, I have to be careful still even now yeah. how far I go with that. But most of it's via email. Mm-hmm. But I do, depending on the person, set those boundaries according to that person. Mm-hmm. So we've noticed that there's always one in every crowd that drives me crazy or drives Chris Tate crazy, yeah. my business partner. Yeah. So we tend to make the other person deal with that. Yeah, the that's boundaries, a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the boundaries are rock solid yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it can be a little bit flexible. Mm. Clearly, you have to value your own time Mm. above all else. Mm. Otherwise, you'll run out of energy to provide guidance for others. For the people that are watching and listening our little podcast, there'd be a big portion of them that don't understand the share market. Mm. Um, And when we talk about trading the market or share market or whatever, they they often will revert back to pain or horror stories or uh, your super fund has dropped $3 billion and the world's ending and all that sort of stuff. Um, how do, can you explain in 50 words or less to uh, someone who's uneducated in this space or ignorant in this space, what is it that you actually do? Yeah, I know it does sound strange, doesn't it? A full-time mm. trader. Mm. I thought my broker was offering me a job when he said, you're going to be a full-time trader. Mm. And I'm like, no, don't. did you miss it? I can't work, yeah. you moron. Yeah, yeah no. Um, what I do is I look at share charts and I decide whether there are more people buying or more people selling. And why, why is that important to you? If there are more people buying, I want to be in with that. Mm-hmm. If there are more people selling, I want to run away. Uh, see, and that there, my friends, is the simplest expert. So it's really, so it's demand and supply at its, at its peak, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. using a share chart, which is a visual representation mm-hmm. of that supply and demand yeah. to be able to help guide your decisions. So what's a share chart? Share chart is price and volume action. Mm. So you might have seen it on the news, BHP went up by 10 cents, Mm. Rio went up by a dollar, whatever it is. And the volume is? How many people are buying and selling Uh it. Yeah. So if the so I, and I mean I'm asking loaded questions here because I have some understanding of the share market. One would hope. <laughs> no, but yeah, if it, if a share is not highly liquid, if there's not many people trading it, you sort of stay, steer away from that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You need enough other players in the market for it to be able to be effective. But it can boil down into three rules. Uh-huh. If it's going up, you buy it. If it's going down, you sell it, mm-hmm. and you keep your position sizes small. Yeah. And why the last? Can I just say the word Bitcoin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, <laughs> oh, can I expense this? 
one of the things that I enjoy about you and Chris, I mean, I remember when I first met Chris Tate, it was in the dot-com boom. And so everything, my partner Robbie and I, everything we were buying was doubling in value and we thought we were rock stars. We were buying DavNet, VoiceNet, SecureNet. We're making no money net. We're bullshitting your net. This is all a big scam net. Uh, we were making money and we were heroes. And I remember sitting in, I remember going to the Trading Investors Expo and I saw various different people doing their dog and pony show and they, we've got this software and we'll do this and we'll make you a millionaire. And Chris Tate said the exact opposite of what everyone else said, right? And we were in the audience and we'll put up our hands and go, nut, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about. And he was like swearing at us. I go, I really like this guy, right? Because he told the truth. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's this big misconception that exists to the novice that I'm going to start trading and I'm going to do what Louise did and I'm going to build a career. Now, that doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but one of the beautiful things that you guys talk about is position sizing and not exposing too much because what Rob and I were doing, we were gambling with suits on, right, as opposed to actually trading and taking a calculated position, which is what you do. You know what I love though, Jay, is that you were already moving. Mm. You were taking action. Yeah. So we can't steer somebody unless they're already moving. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you were, you were already going, okay, I'm going to be a Superman and then we can temper that back down. <laughs> yeah, well, you certainly did. And also the 17th of April 2000 when the dot-com <laughs> crash came tumbling down and I gave 92 grand back in a in a day, which was wonderful. But I... But, yeah, that was good experience. I mean, I didn't think it was great experience at the time. I was about to get married in six months. I didn't have any money for the wedding. But, you know, in the long term, it taught me a, a lot of things. Tell me how you go um, as a a mum, a wife, a uh, published author, expert speaker, business partner, confidant, uh, accountability partner. How do you wear all those different hats? Yeah, making sure I've got lots of time for myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, energy is so important because if we run out of energy, if the oil well runs dry, uh-huh. we can't give energy to uh-huh. others. So I do things that make me feel good and then I do what I can to fit the rest of it in around that. Uh-huh. It sounds selfish, but if you don't look after yourself, you're going to be in trouble. You would have found that with your own life, wouldn't yeah. you, Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, you've got two kids. One's in yeah. university. Is, yeah. is your daughter... Doing year 12 this year? Um, so I've got one second year university yeah. and then year nine. Year nine. Yeah. Okay, so I just added a few years on her career. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashley's in year nine. Yeah. And Ryan's second year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so you went, okay, so you went through that whole lockdown year 12 sort of period. Yeah. That would have been a bit of fun oh. without a voice. It was, uh, yeah, compelling reading, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> do you know um, Ryan's name is now Ramona, just for the record? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so we've made a complete transition here with the name, with the pronouns. Yeah. And that was all through lockdown as well. So lockdown was pretty eventful in the Bedford household. Um, without going too deep into it, how did you find that? process. It was big. I mean, really, I think this is where we look at the scripts that we put into our children and we work out, have we done a good job? So one of the things that be true to yourself, make sure that you're pleasing yourself before you please Mm. other people, finding out the things that you're grateful for, Mm. that is all really important. And I think those lessons have translated so beautifully. Ramona is so happy, such a well-balanced individual, Mm. regardless of gender. Mm. It's, It's beautiful to see. So we're all still in an adjustment process learning learning and 
I keep on messing up the pronouns, yeah. but I'm getting there. So, yeah. you know, we all have to give ourselves a bit and of a Ramona chance. And Ramona is forgiving with the... Yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah. 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 it's It's been quite the family journey, actually. Okay, yeah. so the fa- okay, let me just go a bit further. So the family of four? Yeah. What about the extended family? Has there been any judgment or comment or innuendo or...? I think it depends on how you position that. I was pretty prepared to write people off completely if they didn't accept. So there's been 100% acceptance. Oh, look at you with your gold star. eh? (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's so that's another challenge. Yeah. No doubt that, yeah, yeah, that not all of us have faced. Um, Getting back to the market. So, no doubt, I mean, I know uh, uh, trading secrets. let me get candlestick trading. Is Nearly. Uh, Do you want me to help you? No, no, no. I can always just look down <laughs> at my notes <laughs> and see charting secrets and candlestick. The tips. secret of, of candlestick charting. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yep. So, so a lot of people know is that. So do you often get asked in the street, what's the next stock I should buy? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of tip yeah, yeah, asking for. I don't give tips. No. It doesn't help. Mm. I think one of the things that we need to do is become self-reliant mm. and pursue mentors to mm. help us on our trading journey. Yeah. Actually, any any journey, don't yeah. we? Yeah. So that's important. Yeah, so I know, like, there's a whole fundamental analysis when we look at the fundamentals of a business and a, and a, and a stock that's trading on the market. And then there's a the technical analysis, which is where your forte comes to play. Do they ever... Overlap? Ever the two overlap? I don't look at fundamental at all, yeah. RJ. Yeah. At all. I know with the counting background, you're probably more interested in yeah. that side yeah. as an initial yeah. direction. But I only look at the chart. Everything that is going to be said about the share, every emotion mm. will come through on that chart. And that's what so Chris Tate told me, I remember a long time ago he mentioned to me the important he said, typically, he said, without being sexist, but typically the best trader are women as opposed to men. He said men get emotionally attached to money, whereas women don't. And you not even looking at the fundamentals and just looking at the chart, you couldn't care if it's called ABC, BHP uh, or, you know, whatever, or the practice. You don't really care. You look at the facts. Yeah. Volume is going up or down. The trend is your friend. It's going up and I'm going long. I'm buying that. It's going down. I'm out. Whereas I remember when I gave a bit back to the stock exchange, I remember thinking, oh, this thing owes me. This, I'm going to stay on it. I'm going to ride. I'm going to put more in and yeah, yeah, average down and all this. Yeah. I did everything wrong. <laughs> Wasn't it wonderful? It happens. But yeah. I think also we have to look at where we can apply those lessons. Mm. So, Jay, I'm going to ask you, the lessons that you've learned out of being a trader, where have you been able to apply those in the rest of your life? Yeah, that's a good question. And thanks for interviewing me on my own podcast. Um <laughs> I do let what me, I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, let me start by uh, this. I, I recognised that I wasn't a good trader, that I was emotionally attached to um, uh, to money, and so what I did was I became a long term investor, and I'm I'm really good at that. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I'm really good at that is I use other experts. I've got a team of financial planners here, Matt, led by Matt Morrison, and I know that the more money I earn, the more I spend. So therefore, I take money off myself and I invest that in our managed portfolio that my guys look after. So that was lesson number one. Um, lesson number two, I guess for me, knowing that the way I behave when it comes to money is I try to remove the emotion from the conversation. And so I do that in all aspects of my financial dealing and try not to get too emotionally attached to money, but just know that the more I spend, the more I earn. So I take money off myself. I set a budget every year 
And my budget is how much am I going to save and how much am I going to invest, not how much I'm going to spend because then I just spend what's left. And that's the lessons that I've learned. I love it. And yeah. have you been able to translate those lessons to the lessons that you're providing for your kids? Yeah, now that's a really good question. So I, I, I go back to a conversation I had earlier uh, today, uh, which wasn't recorded, so therefore no one even knows what I'm talking about. But I was speaking to a friend of mine and typically, for the most part, 80% of who we are today is as a result of our family of origin. And so I was fortunate to grow up in a family where we were faced with some significant financial challenges. And I didn't understand it at the time in my formative years of 11 through to 16 and having to, you know, uh, mum and dad sell their house and move into Nan's house and live with my Nan for six years and, and work part-time with my parents assembling taps and cleaning and all that sort of stuff. I thought, why was me? This is not fair. But watching and learning the lessons both directly and indirectly from my father and from my mother got, put me in good stead to be self-reliant as I am today. And so there I, I'm continually uh, reminded of that as to how I educate and communicate with my kids about money. And their mum wasn't brought up in that environment, whereas I was. And so I think that's one of the things that I can bring to my... i got one of my sons works here at the practice and it's good child labour. He's at two bucks fifty an hour. No, he's, uh, he's in his second year of his accounting degree and it's his part-time work. Um, uh, his uh, twin brother is going to join us um, in the second semester of this year. And the youngest uh, brother, Tom, who's 15, loves um, understanding about money. And so we spend, uh, I take him to school three, three days a week and in that half an hour drive to school, we're always talking about whether it's the economy or how to make money and what first job should I have and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, some of the concepts that I teach them is whatever money that they get, whether it's pocket money or their job, I want them to spend half of it and save half of it. Nice. Yeah. So irrespective if it's $50, $100, $200 or $1,000, I mean, I, I took Tom away. Uh, we did a talk and I sold a few books and he made a 1000 bucks. And um, so I said, 500 you can put in that piggy bank and $500 I'm taking off you and I'm putting in the bank. So just so he knows they put half of it away. If I can keep drilling that into him, you know, at, at, during these formative years, rather than money's going off a tree and anything you ask for your father's going to give you, understand the notion so that he can become self-reliant. I think I'm doing a good job in that part of parenting. And just applying that for business owners, which are the podcast listeners today, mm. I think it's really important that we have a stuff you fund. So that's where... If things get really hard, we are getting bamboozled by input. We need to have enough money there so that we can go down to the beach and just have some time just to be able to look into the horizon, to be able to take time for ourselves so that we can give back to others. And that stuff you fund, I think, has to be one of the first goals when you're getting in business. Get enough so that you've got at least three months up your sleeve. You don't have to think about anybody else. Mm. You've got that three months mm. if you need it. Yeah, that's... Um I like that. That's some really good advice. I, 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 I have two separate accounts. So the stuff you fund is with your language is having that buffer. So you can take the time to have a breath. You know, often um, we get confused where we've been hit with a number of different things at once. A resignation, you lose a client, something happens, interest rates go up. Three or four things happen at once. You go, oh my God, is this ever going to end? But if you get the time to realize it's just a point in time. And nothing's ever as bad as you think it is right now, nor ever will it be as grand as you think it might be in the future. It's just a moment in time. So having that that stuff you fund, this is good from you, Louise, is having that three-month buffer zone 
where I can breathe. The other one is I have this little account where I, you know, you know, I believe in the more we earn, the more we spend. So take money off yourself. When you've taken your money off yourself, you can't spend it. And as you, so it's a little reward account where if I want to feel good about myself or I want to buy a new suit or I want to go on a holiday, I can just jump into that account and take some cash out of it. Yeah, so I love I, I, that. Yeah, just yeah. to make yourself, because too often when you're in a business that serves other people, you're too busy serving everyone else. Yeah. And serving your team members or some people refer to them as your staff. And I, I still, I still quote Chris Tate to this day. <laughs> Give me a business without any clients and without any staff. That's the business I want. And that is Chris Tate to a T, isn't it? Now, I mean, I know you do a lot of the front end communication with your customers and Chris is not overly strong at that. <laughs> Very much the definition of pragmatic. If you whatever, there's a little picture of him. He's straight to the fucking point, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that's important too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think also with what we're trying to attempt to do here mm. is we have to be pure to our values. So what are your top three values mm. in business? And if you're finding that you're saying yes to things that aren't aligned with your values, mm. then you're going to run out of path as well. Mm. So I. I know what mine are. I'd be curious about yours, Jay, but when we went to Fiji together mm. a few years ago, just before the pandemic. It just popped up in my Facebook the other day, actually. Oh, did it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved that trip. Is for, for me, I like these values, love, nurture, inspiration, mm. okay? So if something that I'm presented with as a new opportunity doesn't fulfil at least one of those values, I say no. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. I do you, can I ask you this question? Do you reckon your values change over time? Some of them do, I think, as a periphery, but those three have been my core for yeah. a very long time. And the big one as well, from not to quote word for word from my mission statement, to inspire others by leading by example. Mm. So that inspiration coming from something that I have done, mm. that's really important to me. Let me ask you this question, Louise. What does the future look like for you um, from a trading sense yourself personally have you got another book on the cards um, what about your business tell me what the world looks like for you i've got a lot of speech therapy in my future day yeah. <laughs> so i can just drag this podcast out for another two hours no. <laughs> look i'm going to continue to have health as being a priority yep. you know with everything that i have faced it has just become increasingly more important mm. to me to have the wherewithal to be able to continue. Mm. But also my business partner has got some situations from a health perspective as well. Yeah. I think it's navigating that and finding graceful ways to be able to navigate that health maze. That's going to be a priority. So, so um, that's good language, <laughs> graceful ways to navigate the health challenges. Oh, I do what I can. Did I tell yeah. you I wrote five books? Yes. <laughs> 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 hey, um, can I ask you another question? Sorry. Um, it would be remiss of me not to ask these questions. I know that you uh, you view the market and you trade the market using technical analysis. What, what's your thoughts, opinions, views on um, things such as Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? What are your views there? Do you have anything yeah. to offer? Look, we are a little bit limited with this because my compliance officer tells me that if we actually comment on these markets that we're going to have a big wrap over the knuckles. Mm. So we are not talking specific advice here. This is general mm. advice and for education only. Mm. Everything that trends, you can trade. Mm. 
So if you are following a trend, there's a way to make money. You have to look at that chart as if it didn't have the BTC, the Bitcoin on top of it, and see whether is it going up, down or sideways. If it's going up, you buy it. If it's going down, you sell it and you keep your position sizes small. Apply the same method that you would use for any trade to every single instrument. So I am concerned at the moment. There are a lot of people who've put a lot of money as a percentage of their overall equity into these instruments. That goes very much against everything I believe in and everything I would suggest. And that's what I love about the way uh, you communicate with your clients. We, I know a lot about your business, obviously, and, and you know do a lot of work with you guys, your business and your clients. But that whole risk mitigation strategy is paramount. Don't expose yourself too much, yeah? Mm, Absolutely. And, Jason, when you did the audit for tradinggame.com.au, you did an audit on our clients' trading plans Mm. and their methods, whether they'd been making money. Mm. That's what came across Mm. as well. The clients of mine that are making money stay pure to a written trading plan. Mm. They do not deviate. They switch off that thought. They switch off that emotion. They aim to be as objective as possible. Yeah. Louise, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insight. But most importantly, thank you for being you and being vulnerable and sharing with us everything that you did. Jason, throughout the years, you have supported me in more ways than you can imagine. Everybody listening to this podcast is so lucky to have you as their guide. Honestly, I can't believe it. I pay thousands, they get it for free. What the hell? (laughs) Too good, Louise. Thanks, Dale.